What is crack-a-lackin' fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Damp Valley coming at you with some hoops talk. The usual housekeeping notes before we cannonball in here. Please remember to subscribe wherever you're consuming us. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever. Throw us the permanent subscription if this is your first time here. Ratings and reviews on Apple and Spotify help a ton to bring us up the charts. Um, subscribe to us on YouTube if you're watching me us there as well. Like and comment, help the algorithm love us back, and do both. Subscribe to the audio podcast, subscribe on YouTube. If you've done both those things, I would humbly ask that you tell people about us, recommend us, retweet our promos on Twitter, shout us out on Twitter, just shout us out in general. Join our Discord. The link to that is in the podcast and YouTube description. Uh, we appreciate any and all shout-outs or word-of-mouth recommendations. Those are what keep Grant and I going at the moment. And follow us on the social channels. We are at Hardwood Knox on YouTube, TikTok, and Twitter. And we're at Hardwood underscore Knox on Instagram. I believe that is it. So, again, join Discord, subscribe, tell people about us. Shout-outs are always nice. They, they help massage our egos, and we really appreciate it. Especially when I'm coming at you with an attempt number two. Record a 70-plus-minute podcast on the Magic and Hawks only for it to get fucked up because I'm an idiot and I was changing the way I was recording because my internet was fucked up. So went to bed, reset, trying to squeeze it in amid moving and a bunch of other stuff that uh, I have going on. Two, you know, I did a bunch of research, thought about it a lot and wanted to make sure that the podcast went out. And so we start with, where else? Trey Young, come on. Uh, Chris Haynes of Bleacher Report uh, reports that executives at the G League so- Showcase in Las Vegas are kind of expecting or wondering or bracing for Trey Young to be the next superstar to ask out. Uh, depending on your definition of superstar, do you think that's going to be Levine or Beal in Chicago first? Who knows? Um, this was backed up by Mark Stein, basically, of the Stein line, reporting that the relationship between Trey and head coach Nate McMillan has effectively worsened since the whole miscommunication. I'm using quotes in my hands if anyone's watching. Um, between them about Trey's status for a game a few weeks ago and you know recovering from an injury. Um, so if that's worsened, that makes you curious as to what's going to happen. And there's also just the past reporting of, again, we know that him and Mc, Nate McMillan clashed, but also, and I can't remember who reported, I'm not sure if it was The Athletic or somewhere else, that if you were to poll people in the Hawks, the players would be more likely to side with Nate McMillan than Trey Young. Amid all this, Travis Schlank, uh, steps down or is promoted into an advisory role, however you want to phrase it. Uh, Landry Fields is going to take over as the primary overlord in charge of basketball operations. I think that's just what we should call it at this point. Um, that change is, and let's start with the Trey Young stuff. I'm going to get into trade destinations if you're here for that, and I will clip it and post a separate video of it uh, as well for people who just want the Trey Young destinations on YouTube. But I would be floored if there's a Trey Young trade midseason. He has. Four years and $178.1 million left on his deal. The final year of that is an early termination option. So that's still three years under team control. We did just see Utah move Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert when they had a ton of time left on their contracts. That was still a move, a, move, a decision they made over the offseason. And so for this to happen midseason, he would have to go full-blown Anthony Davis circa 2019. And that didn't even work out. But you would have to really push for a trade demand. Maybe one comes. But the Hawks are, they feel like they're in dire straits, even though as I record this, they're at 500, which they clearly expected to be better. And you look inward or outward for solutions to figure out whether you can fix this first, since you already doubled down on it. You have some picks headed out to San Antonio at the at beginning in 2025. You have Murray coming up on free agency after next season. What are you even looking for in a Trey Young trade at that point? So we will get into that. But can the Hawks fix themselves this season? The answer to that is I don't know. And I think you look at them, they've underachieved on offense. If you want to say that Nate McMillan should be fired, that he should have been more creative with some of the bench lineups or rotations in general, I kind of get that going back and looking at some of the lineups that they've used. They've also been really banged up this year. I will say, under no circumstance, should this team be in the bottom five, both three-point attempt rate and three-point percentage. Trey is a part of the three-point percentage. He is shooting under 30% or about 30% on his pull-up threes. He's at under 34% on his catch-and-shoot threes. The fit with Murray has not been super clean. There are lineups, like their expected starting five this season has actually played pretty well when they've been available. But it does feel like, it doesn't even feel like your turn, my turn, so much as trying to fit like two round pegs in the same square hole or at times. And you can see the vision of it when it actually is working, but it's never felt like it's clicked. And that's, to be expected to some extent, they were in their first season together. We are 32 games deep into a season that they, for them that they have not played in every game together. And so I get that there's the functional awkwardness there. 
Um, but and also Trey Young's volume off the ball, we've seen him use more off the ball, but it hasn't like skyrocketed. Catch and shoot uh, attempts still only account for like seven percent of his total field field goal uh, looks, and so that's not this huge number. And it makes you wonder, are things a little bit too cramped for Atlanta when you're looking at these two in the half court? I would say yes, because of how much they're relying on the mid-range, which it makes sense when you look at trays in between game, when you look at where DeJounte Murray's been strongest. He has hit his threes at a good clip this season. But you need to open things up probably a little bit more to have more diversification when you're looking at guys who can put the ball in their hands, but also just opening up with your shooting. John Collins comes back from injury. He's been shooting 12.5% from three ever since. That's the name that I think you circle on this team. You wonder, okay, well, what's happening here? He has uh, three three years and like $78 million, whatever it is, left on his contract. That seems like it's viewed around the league as a net negative now, just based off the rumors. Stein did report also that the Hawks are reinvigorated to move him, whatever the hell that means. Uh, I don't know what they get for him at this point. I would give it more for John Collins. I think most would because I'm a big believer. I don't even think he needs to be used as the primary screener, but you can't marginalize him to the point where you're not even going to test his floor game. You're not going to use him a ton as a screener. And he's someone who, you know, if his three point shots, not going to fall that, yeah, that could be on him. Is, is he just bystander duty, not suiting him? I still think he could help teams. I don't know what they give up for him at this point. If you're Atlanta, are you just interested in a salary dump at this point where you get expiring contracts back? In which case Kuzma Barton for Collins. Is that something Washington looks at with Kuzma going into free agency? Um, is, is Collins really addition by subtraction though? I don't think just moving him, is addition by subtraction. If you were to move him for just say expiring money for players that you're not actually planning on using, I don't think that necessarily helps your team. And so if you're getting someone back like Kyle Kuzma, yeah, that could help. Um, and there are teams that I think should go after him that probably wouldn't. I mean, like Toronto could build something interesting. It, you start with GTJ salary and that's someone who I think could probably help the Hawks, even if he's a little bit smaller because you would want them to get like the Harrison Barnes type player they were supposed to get in a Collins trade, which is sort of, a big what if is what if instead of making the Kevin Herter trade, you make the Collins trade and you have Harrison Barnes and Kevin Herter instead of John Collins. Does this team look a lot different? I don't know. Barnes started the season pretty roughly, but he is again, a squeakier clean fit for this team. The Kings are certainly going to be out on Collins now with the way they're playing and just the, the setup of, of their roster. Dallas would love to get their hands on him. I would, I would assume, especially with the Maxi Kleba injury, but they're just, I wouldn't expect them to give up future first for him. And they don't even have attractive uh, expiring money or any young, like I guess Josh Green or Jaden Harvey, would they give, you know, they would have to give one of those guys up in the steel just because they're not sending back palatable contracts. They're not giving up Dorian Finney-Smith at this point for John Collins. Um, you could look at Utah. I would just love to see him there because the vibes are, are great in Utah and the way that they play. Uh, you could play him next to Walker Kessler, who's just been an absolute beast this season on defense. Or you can, you know, they've played bigger while, while spacing the floor out too. You could go Linux, Marketing, and John Collins. I don't know who's a part of that deal. Marketing would be a great fit for Atlanta, but you would have to give up first round equity in addition to Collins. And I don't think they have enough to do that. Um, Utah would really have to be in love with Collins. The Hawks can trade their first round pick this year, um, but it gets murky and difficult for them to trade future picks beyond that. So, but if you if it's if the asking price is just I don't know is it is it Malik Beasley at this point or are, are the Jazz even doing that um, Malik Beasley and stuff uh, Kelly Olynyk and Jordan Clarkson was floated but Jordan Clarkson is in extension talks with Utah right now uh, I would love to see jo John Collins in Utah though if you keep Larry Market in there just the vibes are great not like a super intuitive basketball fit I guess but it would be incredibly fun to watch um, and then like I, there's not Phoenix has been mentioned. I don't know. You can get to the money without trading your core pieces and maybe they'd be likely to give up a first round pick. But is that where you're again, if you're Atlanta, if it's Sharich, Jay Crowder and a first and then Shamit, like, and then it's kind of a three for one or you're throwing smaller salary in there to make it work. Are you doing that? I don't necessarily love the Collins fit in Phoenix. If you think he can lead some bench units with campaign or that it's really just going to help if you don't expect CP three to be the scorer that he was long-term, um, leading into the playoffs that that could certainly help, but you're going to run into some of the same issues where he's, if he's sharing the fourth Deandre and which he can do, you're just reliant on him basically being able to, to hit threes as a bystander. Um, so I don't necessarily love that fit. Um, other teams that's pretty to mind. It's like, I will admit that for as much as I love John Collins, he does feel like a very specific fit. I already mentioned uh, Toronto is the, one of the ones that I would keep coming back to. I don't know who you give up for, 
that specific with Gary Trent Jr. Would would Chris Boucher and Gary Trent Jr. is there is there something there? Uh, is that too much in Toronto's view? Do they not want John Collins' money? I think that would be Gary Trent Jr. is headed towards free agency. I'm a big fan of Chris Boucher, not hitting his threes right now, but you could technically work him into Atlanta's front court. Clears the runway a little bit from Yeka Kongu with John Collins gone, and you could technically play those two together, Boucher and uh, Onyeka off the bench. So you could look at that. Um, I, th- I thought about I thought about for a minute, and I'm moving on. I just thought about Memphis to have Jared Jackson Jr. John Collins, but you don't you just don't fuck with it with what you're doing in Memphis. I'd love to see him in OKC. They can't get to the money until the start of the offseason. Their you know third highest paid player is Chet Holmgren at nine point nine million, and they're not moving him. They're not moving Dort. They're not moving Shea to get John Collins. They're not moving Josh Giddy at this point to get John Collins. Um, he would be fun there though. When they have cap space, a little bit to work with the Spurs taking a flyer. If they wanted him, they probably would have done that in the DeJounte Murray trade, or at least we would have heard him a little bit more length. Miami could be semi-interesting and you, I would assume you get first round equity out of them. But again, now you're getting into a scenario where it's okay. They gave us Duncan Robinson and Kayla Martin or Victor Oladipo and picks like, is that the return we're okay with Duncan Robinson could certainly help the three point volume of this team, but what is he going to do for your defense? Which has, by the way, when you watch the Hawks and they're at 15th dead on per clean the glass and both offensive and defensive efficiency right now, the defense just feels off too. And like, they've had some excellent, excellent stretches here, but you have to wonder if like, you know, even during this stretch where they are five and nine over their last 14 games, like you, you've gotten a little bit lucky on or you've gotten unlucky in opponent three-point shooting and so that's like almost a good harbinger and you look at their indicators for the season they're not all like just super off so but Clint Capella has gone down and even before Capella went down it was just like Atlanta felt like they weren't doing enough to get set after they were making their own shots or when they had time to get back and they're not 22nd in offense so excuse me they are tw- 28th right now points allowed per possession after a make since the Clint Capella injury. And like, that's just stuff that's low hanging fruit that you should be able to gobble up. And the fact that they've gotten to even league average defensively overall, while being around the bottom five in foul rate. um, And then they're also in the bottom 10 of, of defensive rebounding right now. That's like, that's just weird and noisy. And they do, they, they did force some turnovers. The fact that they don't turn the ball over themselves. That's a, that's a form of defense in itself. Um, But like they've gotten lucky on opponent three point shooting overall this season. And we're seeing it starting to normalize now opponents are under 35% from three this year, uh, under 34% above the break. I don't think Atlanta is doing anything specifically that, uh, you know, we go into whether three point shooting of opponents is lucky. I tend to subscribe to that uh, theory. And then Atlanta, just overall, their location effective field goal percentage, which is where what you would expect other teams to shoot based on where you're allowing shots, is 25th. And so they're not like necessarily allowing the right the right kind of of shots. There's definitely the element of Clint Capella helping there. At the same time, they are 28th in the share of rim attempts that opponents take. Uh, that's really disastrous. They do do a good job limiting three pointers overall. And I think when you have the aggression of DeJounte Murray, if DeAndre Hunter is healthy, uh, that is certainly, that can be part of it. But I look at this team and think, what is it they need to target to turn around their season? And it's a combination of, I guess, three point volume. And I'm, I'm boiling it down, simplifying it down of, if you want to call it shooting and better shooting from Trey Young specifically, and then just diversifying their front court rotation to where you're not relying on John Collins, who is at best a combo big or just a one position player. If you consider him a four, you need combo wings, combo forwards. And how do you go out and get someone like that? Jay Crowder would help. Uh, but is Jay Crowder the answer? I mean, he's his three point volume would certainly uh, juice up the offense and he's confident in his kind of own floater, but he's not going to solve everything there. And he's been a touch and go three pointer historically when you look at it. Could you look at getting like uh, PJ Washington doesn't move the needle here for me, even a Kelly Oubre Jr. of Charlotte selling. And that's kind of the other issue here is there aren't a lot of sellers right now. We know that there's Houston. We know that there's San Antonio. And that's like kind of it. If you think about it, like Detroit could be a seller with Boyan Bogdanovich, but they're saying they might want to keep him. We thought Indy was going to be a seller. That's not guaranteed. They're better than expected. Maybe they just extend miles Turner. It seems like buddy. Hill's been good for them. And you're not, you're, you're not a team that's, 
you can't make moves in free agency right now anyway. Free agency is just so completely fucked uh, at the moment. Uh, when you look at the pool of players, you don't need extra flexibility. And so can you get, would Indy make a move? Yeah, sure. Um, but we look at them, you look at even Orlando, if you were going to paint them as a seller, and it's just kind of like, well, what do they have to sell? Gary Harris hasn't really played. Maybe some team would roll the dice on him. Would they trade Wendell Carter Jr. when he's healthy? I, I don't know. Like maybe you get Mo Bamba, um, but that's not helping. None of these players I'm naming really are helping the Hawks when you have Capella there, when you have Onyeka Okongwu. So the dearth of sellers really hurts. And even the Spurs, I thought about like, if you're Atlanta, it'd have to be a third team. But if you can get Josh Richardson and Doug McDermott, those are two players who help your team. Uh, even Zach Collins, would San Antonio be willing to give him up there? Or do they think that he's kind of been better than John Collins to this point? So like, but like Josh Richardson, Zach Collins, Doug McDermott, are you even able to move John Collins for those players? And is that too low of a return? Again, I have no idea what his value is because I would give up at least one first round pick for him, which is, I guess, good that I'm not in negotiations. Uh, Portland, I thought might've been a surprise seller this season and they are, they've settled into sort of mediocrity, but I don't know that they're just going to make Jeremy Grant available. I guess that he gets an extension um, before they make a trade. Uh, Houston, Eric Gordon and Jay Sean Tate. I would prefer him over KJ Martin, but maybe they don't want to go that route. But with Tari Eason's emergence, could you get Jay Sean Tate out of Houston? I mean, when he's healthy, that's going to help your defense, not your three-point volume. Eric Gordon will help with that. He is still one of the best long, long, long-distance three-point shooters, by the way. He's like fourth in makes outside of 28 feet. So he's pulled back, but he's still really good. John Collins in Brooklyn, the Joe Harris stuff, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind it for the Hawks. I would question it for the Nets. He can work with Ben Simmons. He can work with Nick Claxton, but you're not having all three of those guys close games, and I'm not even sure that you want John Collins and Nick Claxton closing games. And so could that be sort of awkward there. Um, but again, I don't know which team is going to trade for him and also give Atlanta players that immediately helped him. I'm, I'm looking at, uh, let's even stretch the scope. A Doug McDermott, Josh Richardson trade feels like the baseline of something that would really help. Or Eric Gordon, Jay Sean Tate is something that could really move the needle for them. Um, they need to go out there and find it though, because I don't look at this roster and think that it's going to settle itself from within. The Trey Young stuff, he is going to get better. I don't think his efficiency is going to be in the toilet forever. He's still really good. By the way, he's first in assists thrown at the rim, remains one of the better passers in the game. What I will say, and what's interesting, is that it does seem like his play style grates on his teammates, just based off reports, than we've really even heard with a James Harden or Luka Doncic. We've run into issues with both players. Did Jalen Brunson leave Dallas in part because of Luka Doncic? It's possible. Uh, did Kristaps Porzingis? I don't really like it's Kristaps Porzingis. Having a great year, maybe a fringe all-star, but okay. Um, you've seen hardened butt heads with Chris Paul. It didn't necessarily work out with Russell Westbrook, but like you have Daryl Morey continuously trying to trade for him. PJ Tucker goes back to play with Harden and Philly out of his way to go there, by the way. So it just feels like with the locker room stuff and the clashing with coaches that some, and I know Luca clashed with Rick Carlisle. So I'm not trying to get put all this on Trey young. It does just feel like there is something weird there. The whole report about if you pulled, players in the locker room they would side with nate mcmillan over trey young it's a little unsettling you would get rid of nate mcmillan before you get rid of trey young though i think that's pretty clear i do also wonder though now that landry fields is in charge how much was he aligned with travis schlank how much of a say did he have in the first place could he decide to take the roster in a different direction is he more just motivated to move collins for whatever to maybe trying to open up the rotation and and force mcmillan to attempt different things or is he maybe more open to starting over? Because this is kind of like, oh, I want to leave my mark. He's been there for a while, so I want to make that clear. But if he wants to make his mark, lead into a new era or rebuild, would he even consider a Trey Young trade in the offseason? Is he just more likely to do that than Travis Schlank is, in my point? Schlank is the one who made the trade to get Trey Young in the first place, which is they should have flat out. You should have went with Luka Doncic, but it hasn't turned out to be like this catastrophic deal because of how good that Trey Young actually is at his peak. And that, that, those are factors that come into play with all this too. And it's a tough situation to read. You would have ideally liked to, I know Schlank had some, uh, it's been cited there are personal things going on in his life. Hopefully everything is fine there. This is ideally, I would think something, if you're going to what feels like a regime shift, let's not even call it a change. You probably would have wanted that over the off season before you go through the draft, even though AJ Griffin looks like he's going to pan out uh, before you go through free agency, the DeJounte Murray trade extending DeAndre Hunter. You would want your, primary executive to still be in place after making those decisions, ideally. But now it could be up to Landry Shields, maybe to decide what's happening with the coach and Trey Young. 
I will say these are moves that get made over the offseason, though, if you're going to move Trey Young. And I think he's really going to have to push for it because you don't just get one of the, what could be in any given season, one of the 10 to 15 best players in basketball, all NBA type player in his age 24 season and just move on when you also have him under team control for three more years. Now, the Trey Young trade specifically, and we had a question from uh, Rome8180 about this, with the rumor mill that Trey will be the next player to ask out, which teams should actually consider trading for him and what's a reasonable amount to give up. He's a tough fit in a lot of ways, in my opinion. He can't play off the ball, is possibly the worst defender in the NBA, doesn't seem to get along with teammates and coaches. I've actually defended his game in the past. I don't think you average 30 and 10 without being a great player, but this year has really soured me on him. I, I get all that. I still think there's like it's almost TBD on whether he can play off the ball, but I get all those concerns. Let's start with the asking price, and that's going to be up to Atlanta. If you're moving Trey Young, I think the reflexive response is to to believe, oh, we're going into a rebuild. I don't know if that's guaranteed. They might look at this roster and say, well, why don't we recalibrate it around DeJounte Murray? But he's also, if you were going to rebuild, he's going to be a free agent in 24. It would make sense to just trade everybody, re recoup a bunch of picks, and start over from there. Again, that gets a little easier to do over the offseason when there are teams that are more flexible. I don't know what call they make, and so it's, it depends on that. If I'm Atlanta and I'm looking to rebuild, you do what Utah did when they traded Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. You can go the route of, well, we kind of want a young centerpiece involved, but we'll take all the picks, and then either useful players or just players who are there for salary matching, and that's important. Malik Beasley's played really well this season. Um, Walker Kessler's been great. Jared Vanderbilt has given them some really good minutes. Kelly Olynyk's been really good. Colin Sexton's been really good. They didn't make the trade with any of those players in mind as centerpieces. Walker Kessler was kind of like an extra first-round add-on. They did it for the picks, for the control of these drafts into the long-term future. That's what you do if you're not concerned with the present. It just so happened they got maybe an all-star this year and Larry Marketing too. If you're Atlanta, you could look at Mitchell and Gobert and say, I want something similar. Mitchell's been the better player this year. Trey would have been identified as the better player leading into this season. I, I think you expect, ask for a similar haul. Now, if you're looking to just recalibrate the roster around DeJounte Murray, that's probably going to eat into your pick equity where you're looking at teams to send you an impact player or two so that you can continue contending for 10th in the East or whatever, or thinking that you have a pathway to getting better. That complicate it doesn't complicate the trade, but it would open up suitors to maybe where if they're not super pick rich, um, it, it would allow them to join the sweepstakes, but then it would also hurt a team. Like let's, let's say Dallas, Dallas would be just objectively funny to see Trey and Luca on the same team, but they could, after this season, feasibly offer their, after this season, assuming their first round pick to the Knicks conveys, they could offer a 2024 first, a 2026 first, a 2028 first, and then a 2030 first. We're talking about trading Trey young for them when the league calendar resets. Four picks plus three swaps. That is the meat and the potatoes and the dessert of their trade. They would be including salary matching after that. Maybe Josh Green and Jaden Hardy are in there, but that's the meat and potatoes of their deal or all those picks. They immediately get bounced from the running if if the Hawks want more established impact players. And so looking at these destinations, I thought about this a lot and I didn't anticipate talking about this team in the first place, but I did on the first iteration of this podcast. Would Boston give up Jalen Brown? For Trey Young, is that something they would consider? I don't know. If Atlanta was confident they could re-sign Jalen Brown, I think that's something they would be interested in, pairing him with DeJounte Murray and Clint Capella uh, and Bogdan Bogdanovich. I, I could see it. Um, Boston, they had an historically great start to the season offensively this year, and Brown has been great, like caps lock great. But if the offense continues to fall off or if they think they need more of a caps lock shot creator and someone to drive even the playmaking of an offense in a playoff final situation and they don't believe that's Jason Tatum, would they consider it? I wouldn't at this point. I want to make it clear. If the season ended in less than palatable fashion for Boston, I'm saying let's say they miss the conference finals and it's just, it's not even pretty. I wouldn't predict that, but maybe that's when they enter the fold. Brooklyn just doesn't have the juice to get them and I don't think they need them. Charlotte really doesn't have the juice to get them, which is unfortunate because they're fucking terrible. I don't know why you'd want to pair him with LaMelo anyway. Chicago... I guess if Atlanta really liked something built around Zach Levine and Patrick Williams and stuff, but at that point, if you're Chicago, what you're pairing Trey young with DeMar DeRozan and then re-signing Vooch and like, that's your team moving forward. So no Cleveland definitely doesn't need him. I mentioned Dallas again, they could trade when the league calendar sets four first round picks, presumably in three swaps. But that's to get your attention a little bit. If you're Atlanta, the absence of 
oh, we're getting back other good players in the process that we really like. Do you want Kleba at that point when he's coming back from injury, which sounds like he, it, based on the surgery timeline, he's probably not going to be back until May, which could be the, the end of the year. Would they give up Dorian Finney-Smith and all those picks? I think you need Dorian Finney-Smith to kind of insulate Trey and Luca even defensively. But if you're going the picks route, yeah, Dallas gets involved. Denver is an interesting thought exercise depending on how this season ends. Could you build something around Jamal Murray? Um, I wouldn't. The two-man game between Jokic and Jamal Murray is just divine, and so don't take the ball out of Jokic's hands when you have someone in Murray who you know can work off him. Detroit, if they put Jaden Ivey on the table... They just don't have enough extra picks. And it's like, that would be the, they would have to go Jay Ivey and picks. And that would be the full blown rebuilding mode move for the Hawks. And I don't know that you think you're good enough. Um, and even have the sample size with Cade Cunningham, who's going to be out for the year himself to be like, Oh, we're that good. Let's push our chips all in on what we don't know is even like any pairing when you're getting a megastar could technically be combustible. You feel more confident making it. Let's say if you're Cleveland and you're coming off a standout year and your process has been accelerated, Detroit's has not golden state. I thought about because look at the end of the season, Jordan pools, new money kicks in, build something around Jordan pool, Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody and future picks beginning in 2026. And later does that catch Atlanta's eye? And you might just say, well, why would you have Trey and Steph play together? I will say yes, but Steph can play off anyone. And how much worse is Trey defensively than Jordan pool? I mean, size wise, Jordan pool is going to be bigger. So there's that, but I wouldn't hate it. I wouldn't hate it if that's the move for Golden State. Uh, I would be interested to see it. They wouldn't be one of my favorite destinations. Houston, semi-interesting, but like, what are you giving up? You have all these future picks, hodgepodge of players that you could send out, but are you saying, okay, Jabari Smith Jr. and Jalen Green are untouchable in this, or you want to give up one of those guys for Trey Young? And if you don't have to give one of them up, how many picks is this costing you? And then Trey Young, Jabari Smith Jr., and Jalen Green, it just feels like you're trying to push your timeline too quickly in that regard, and it could end up blowing up in your face where by the time maybe you are ready to win, Trey has eyes for another team. Uh, but they, they have the equity to get involved. And if you're able to keep two of Eason, Green, and Jabari Smith Jr., and move, and I guess Shangoon, if you want to throw it that way, the Shangoon-Trey Young defensive lineups would be horrific. But maybe, but I just, I don't know. Uh, they could certainly use someone to drive the offense as a point guard. And I don't think that's KPJ or Jalen green, but can Jalen Jalen green could work off Trey young, but do you want to bring in someone so ball dominant when you haven't fully explored uh, when you're probably not even maximizing Shangun as it is. And when you haven't fully explored Jabari Smith's offensive game, Indiana's a no with Halbert and the Clippers just don't have the equity. The Lakers, we could, they have after this season, they can offer some uh, picks that go out a little bit further, but two picks and three swaps, let's say what they could get to. Plus, they'll have cap space, so like, and a small salary. It's just, it's not happening. Lakers fans, Trey could ask for a trade to the Lakers. It's not happening. Memphis with Jaws a no. Miami, I initially thought was a no, but Bam and Jimmy Butler with Trey, so he's insulated defensively there. And then they have Jovic, and after this season, it gets interesting with the picks that they could offer. I mean, it's kind of interesting now, but they owe that 2025 first to OKC. Let's just say they can unprotect that, and OKC is willing to work with them. You can offer after the draft. So you would offer the 2023 player that you actually draft, a 2024 swap, a 2026 swap, a 2027 pick, a 2028 swap, a 2029 pick, and a 2030 swap. And so you can effectively offer, if we're just going to include the 2023 pick in here, but you're moving it again once the calendar resets, you can trade three first-round picks and four swaps. You have Jovic then, and you have Tyler Hero is there a deal there to be made? Even if you think that I'm wrong about the pick numbers, but 23, 27, and 29 is three. You can swap in 24, 26, 28, and 2030. Again, once the league calendar resets. So three picks, four swaps, Tyler Hero's $27 million salary next season to play around with. Does that, I mean, if you're given the full pick vote, I'm probably trying to get Duncan Robinson off that deal. So you get to keep Kyle Lowry with Trey Young. You can also use Kyle Lowry as the primary salary ballast there. Does Atlanta think he'll stay for a year? and that he kind of helps them um, remain competitive. They could look at it that way. But I wouldn't mind playing Lowry with Trey Young. It's an undersized backcourt, but I think it could work. So you also, if you need to get to the rest of the money to bring in Trey Young's salary, you, there's Duncan Robinson we talked about. Uh, Dwayne Dedman, you could throw that in there. Or maybe even Caleb Martin's on the table. That's a player who's just super useful. I wouldn't... I 
Miami feels like a Trey Young sleeper. I'm not going to lie. Maybe they're more obvious to some people than me, but that's the team that I'm almost in love with now, the idea of it. Let's see, would Trey clash with Jimmy Butler, who needs the ball in his hands, and Bam, who's been a monster this season? The Heat are very malleable, and so are their stars. Butler, Lowry, Bam Adebayo. I just wouldn't rule it out. Milwaukee's a no. Minnesota, people have talked about the Conley Towns for Trey Young challenge trade. I don't know if Atlanta does that, because then you're recalibrating your team around Capella and Cat and uh, DeJounte Murray. I'm assuming you trade John Collins as part of that deal. You would have to make more moves in the front court, and Minnesota is not going to have extra picks to give you. If they were willing to give you Jaden McDaniels, like maybe that makes it more palatable, but I do think Trey has exponentially more value than Carl Anthony Towns, who cannot be moved to this summer, by the way. Uh, the Pelicans, no. They, I just I don't want to see them invest in a point guard who's not, if it was an A++ defender point guard. But you have Zion and, and C.J. McCollum and Brandon Ingram. I just don't think you need to go that route. The Knicks, yeah, they'd be involved. I've wondered whether their assets are sexy enough. The conditional first-round picks from Detroit and Washington, I think, sound better in theory than practice. They've also, look, IQ's playing really well right now. I think OB before his injury, uh, and he was going through kind of a rough patch, but he showed that he could hit the three ball. Those guys are approaching approaching extension eligibility, and that's going to make them less valuable to their new teams. R.J. Barrett, is he more valuable on his new deal to a team like the Hawks? That would be the big one here. I think R.J. Barrett and Quentin Grimes are your single most valuable trade asset still if you're going the megastar route. Uh, I don't I, I don't know the answer to who it is, to be honest. Quentin Grimes has two years left on his rookie scale and might have some off-the-bounce stuff in addition to hellacious defense. Deuce McBride, not in this conversation, but he's definitely upped his trade value based off what he's done since getting some more playing time. I, I think the big factor here would be Aside from the Hawks' direction, because the matching money going out, if it's R.J. Barrett, it really does help you. So how many picks would you be willing to attach to him if you're the Knicks? I mean, if it's not R.J. Barrett, like you're really going the 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 super-duper pick route with just some of your prospects, and you weren't willing to do that for Donovan Mitchell, who's a cleaner fit next to Jalen Brunson than Trey Young. Would Jalen Brunson be a part of that trade? How much does that impact the pick equity that you're sending out? It depends on Atlanta's aim. I think the biggest question, though, is how does Atlanta view the Knicks' picks? And with the Donovan Mitchell trade, it was said, well, get the distant Knicks picks. You should short the Knicks future. That's always been the smart play. When you look at where they're at now, they're not going to get worse with Trey Young. And I think there were more questions about this roster because of what happened last season, even after acquiring Jalen Brunson, than there are now after seeing it in practice, seeing them lean into more playing time for the guys that should be playing, getting away from Fournier, getting away from Rose, et cetera, et cetera. Um, even experimenting with the Jericho Sins, Julius Randle, Isaiah Hartenstein front court. I don't know like why you would believe that their picks are going to suck when they're getting Trey Young. And if they have, if they get to keep, because they're not giving up both, if they have Jalen Brunson and or RJ Barrett still there after the fact, I don't know that their distant picks are going to seem as valuable as they might for other teams. Maybe it's just because they're the Knicks and they're viewed as combustible on the outside. I think they would be in this trade. I think the cost of getting Trey Young, unless Atlanta is in love with RJ Barrett, might be higher than people are expecting because the Knicks, and this is a compliment, I do think their future first-round equity has almost declined in value a little bit. Um, their own picks is what I'm saying. Perhaps I'm wrong there. OKC, one of my favorites here for that. They can't do anything until the summer when they have cap space just because they're not, if they really wanted to, yeah, you go Lou Dort, Chet Holmgren right now. You're not doing that. You're not trading Chet or Shea Gillis-Alexander. You make them off-limits in a Trey Young trade. Otherwise, I don't really know what the appeal would be. Do you make Lou Dort off limits? I think Atlanta's going to want him, and I don't think you should rule it out. I think Trey would be very insulated defensively long-term here between the way that Shea's played this season. Lou Dort could still be here. Chet Holmgren coming back. Is Josh Giddy still around? I think he's probably your primary. He's played well this season, and he's played better off of Shea and has made me appreciate his game more. I thought he was a very unflexible, like inflexible player looking at his offense, so he's impressed me there. But Ushman Jang, J-Dub, um, even Jeremiah Robinson Earl, even Pokeshevsky, if they keep him, they have a lot of disruptor def disruptive defenders or defensive projects. Pro like, I think J-Dub is going to wind up being an incredible defender by next season. Um, even Ujman Jang, uh, rest in peace to his wrists. I mean, he didn't lose his wrist, but could we get him like a some sturdier wrist there, please? So you could very much inoculate Trey defensively. You have all these picks. If Atlanta's looking to go the rebuilding route, I think OKC makes a lot of sense. And you start with Giddy. And you flush it out from there because you could go with the cap space they have, Giddy, 
a couple small salaries and you're there. Now, does Atlanta want Lou Dort? That's a different discussion. I think that impacts the pick equity you're, you're giving up. But they would be a fun destination. Orlando is a team that people have mentioned, and uh, I think it makes sense. What are you giving up? Who's untouchable? Paolo Bancaro, and are you putting Franz Wagner off limits in that deal? Uh, I probably would just because of the picks that it's going to cost me. I want Trey coming in and playing with Paolo and Franz Wagner. Jalen Suggs is not off the table. The question becomes, how much is Jalen Suggs worth in this trade? And the answer is, I don't know. I view Jalen Suggs before his injury. Uh, you know, you want to monitor the ankle. I felt like people were too low on him still. But it, he's going to be viewed, I would argue, highly internally throughout Orlando and trade talks, but not if you're a team like Atlanta. What does it cost if you're going the picks, salary, Jalen Suggs, and they could have um, Chumo KK. They could have, I mean, RJ Hanson will be off the books by then. You don't quibble over including Cole Anthony if you still have Mo Bamba. Even if they want Wendell Carter Jr., I don't know why they would. He's really good. Uh, if they want Markel Fultz, uh, his salary next year is non-guaranteed. Same with Jonathan Isaac. They could, if you want to make the money work and Atlanta's just looking for flexibility moving forward, it, it, Orlando's a good partner. But it's if Suggs is the primary tangible centerpiece going out, what else is involved? How many picks? You have all your own. So if this year's pick is good. You have that Chicago pick this year. So those two first, if you want to give those up, that might be a good baseline with Jalen Suggs to ensure that you don't have to eat into uh, the Franz Wagner being there because you're not trading Paolo. I just think that Franz Wagner, who's been really good, is someone Atlanta would would push for there. Philadelphia, no. Phoenix, I thought about it because Devin Booker can work off anyone. He's just absolutely spectacular. Um, but would you be willing to say, all right, well, CP3, is, we think he's done or we're going to move him in this deal and send him, send him to Atlanta? And then the what if becomes, what if Atlanta drafted CP3 comes to fruition uh, 80 years later? You, that would be pretty callous of them. They could. They have all their own picks. But you're probably looking at you. You need Atlanta to be in love with DeAndre Ayton, which touchy proposition because they have Capella, Onyeka Kongwu, and even John Collins there still. And then it's are you giving up Mikhail Bridges? You can get to the money if you're going to include CP3. Uh, but yeah, it's it would be interesting. I would say the defense with Booker and, and Young would be rough, but Booker's improved. And like I said, I don't worry about Booker playing off anyone. Portland's a no with Dame. Sacramento, if you want to build something around De'Aaron Fox, I just don't know. The vibes are good there. I guess if you wanted to level up a little bit, um, and reunite Trey Young with Kevin Herter, and you could unprotect the pick that you owe them in 24 to open up your packages, but Sabonis and Trey Young, and then Kevin Herter still there. You're giving up Keegan Murray in that deal. You're re-signing Harrison Barnes. Uh, he's a free agent this summer, so he wouldn't be a part of an off-season trade. I, I don't know. The Spurs, not really their player, and they're just so early into their rebuild. Toronto, yes. Trey doesn't fit Project 6-9, but you, if you get to keep, you keep Pascal, and then you say, we're keeping one of Ananobi or Scotty Barnes. And then so it's Trey, Ananobi or Scotty Barnes, and Siakam, and you're fleshing out your team from there. And yeah, Fred Van Fleet maybe is a part of that deal. It would help the Raptors if it was part of this season, or maybe it's a sign and trade over the summer, because maybe Atlanta wants to remain competitive. Pair him with Murray and Capella and DeAndre Hunter. Like, that's an infrastructure that works. And if you were to make the trade this season, like, you could include Gary Trent Jr. as part of this. I would give up... I, w I would give up OG or or Barnes for Trey. I wouldn't give up both. And so you go one of them. And I think I've changed... I'm not lower on Scotty Barnes long-term, but Samson Folk mentioned this on Sam Bassini's podcast at The Athletic. I feel like sometimes we overcomplicate trades for superstars, where it's... If Toronto could have traded Scotty Barnes for Kevin Durant, in hindsight, they should have just done it. I don't believe for a second that it was just the Scotty Barnes hang-up, but I would say the same thing here at this point. You can make a case that it's they're less likely to take that route if it's Trey uh, than it would be Kevin Durant, but I would give up one of Ananobi or Barnes, I think, for Trey Young, and then you have the other one, who you don't trade, with Siakam. Build out your roster from there. If Precious Achua is probably not part of the package. You're going the, I would say, salary plus Barnes or Ananobi and then picks is how you're building building out the package. And it would it would help you even more. I don't know that you have to give up as much if Fred Van Fleet is tradable. Uh, like if they actually want Fred Van Fleet and if Atlanta wants to compete, they might. Trey in Utah, not so much. I think, like, yeah, he'd be an upgrade over Mike Conley or Jordan Clarkson or Colin Sexton, but are you cashing in your picks for for Trey Young? And Atlanta's probably going to want Beasley and or Markin as part of that deal. So that's just a no. Washington will probably fancy themselves Trey Young suitors, but unless they convey that 2023 pick to the Knicks, I don't see them having the the juice to 
to get there. And Trey and Bradley Beal, I think they could work, but I just don't know. I think other packages would be more attractive. My favorites, if you want me to ask for my five or six favorites, because there are a few that are experimental that I think I'd like, my flat-out favorites would be, uh, I love Miami. All of a sudden, I talk myself into Miami. I love Toronto. I love OKC. I love Orlando. Those are the four that I love and think that they could cobble together. Might be different types of packages, uh, and most of them are better suited over the offseason, except Toronto could offer a better one now. And I also would, Boston's an interesting exercise, not one of my favorites, though. Just Dallas being in, Andre would be hysterical. Uh, so I throw those two just sort of tangentially into it. And those are just the six teams that I, I sort of eye. And I don't think there's another one that I'm forgetting that I'm in love with. It's really just New York. So, and I would like New York more than Boston, just because I don't want to mess with what Boston has. So it would be Dallas and New York is sort of just, I don't, they would be in, I don't know if it's the best possible course for either of them, um, but I, I don't, I, w- I would want to see it is my point. Even if it's a car crash theory, and just by virtue of what do the Knicks have to pay to get Trey Young, who uh, is hated by the fan base, but would be immediately loved if he's traded there. And then, I mean, if I was going really experimental, Golden State. But New York and Dallas are in the one tier for me and in the tier of my own of what I just would actually really like to see, teams that could go after Trey Young, if you move him, which I don't know the Hawks do, would be Miami, Orlando, OKC, and Toronto. Uh, speaking of Orlando, they've been on a tear, and I wanted to talk about them. They've won seven of their last eight. Is it sustainable? They've done it without Jalen Suggs, without Wendell Carter Jr. Uh, Chumo OKK is injured. Uh, also, so is, who else are they missing right now? Marco Fultz has been back for a while, and he's that's been a big, we have to get into that. Like I feel like him managing the game for them when you go back and watch has been huge. Oh, Gary Harris and the hamstring, and then, of course, Jonathan Isaac. That was the name that I was misremembering there. I'm not perturbed by any of this happening without Jalen Suggs. I just want to see him be able to play healthy, with a full strength Orlando backcourt. Um, because I think that if you have Fultz or if you even have Cole Anthony playing the way he is, in addition to Paolo and Franz, it really helps streamline the game for him. And we just haven't seen enough of long stretches with that. So I don't think he comes, maybe he disrupts some of what's happening. Orlando is seventh in offense and seventh in defense during this time. They're not doing necessarily anything too spectacular on offense. Um, they're doing a good job on the, the offensive glass. They're getting to the foul line a ton. Not appreciated enough part of Paolo Bancaro or Franz Wagner's game, quite frankly. You look at both of them, but especially Paolo, the the zero-step speed where from any angle, back to the basket, left side, strong side, basically. He doesn't need to be above the break to even get that head of steam. Is really, like, he can just get by guys, and he is such a physical force around the basket. Um it, it's just been a joy to watch. And he's the clear rookie of the year front runner. There might be, there are impact metrics that actually like Walker Kessler better. It's Palo and it's just not even close this year. He has been on fire during this stretch, 22 points shooting 42.1% from three on nearly five attempts per game. Still making some issues with ball control um, as a passer, but he's going to be just, I would say in a minus passer at his peak at minimum is just sort of where I'm at with him. He like Franz Wagner last year has been better defensively than I thought. Orlando's rim defense during this stretch and, and for the season has been wonky. Uh, but I've actually liked like some of the 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 help or the 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 contests around the basket that we've seen from Franz and Paolo Bancaro specifically. Um, and you're looking at beyond those two, Orlando seems to have found something with Cole Anthony off the bench. He is it's just during this stretch, but he has been and for more like more of the season, he's just been a steadying force off the bench and not just as a scorer. He's hitting, he has an effective field goal percentage of 63 plus on his off the dribble jumpers over the last eight games. That's huge. But he's also been like this really good driver. I'm not talking just as a score. He's shooting 60% on his drives over the last eight games. But he's also has an assist rate of 17. He's wreaked havoc and been able to capitalize on it when he's journeying inside the arc. And you look at all the players during this stretch who have finished 50 drives. The only other players to have an assist rate as high, Mike Conley, Russell Westbrook, and LeBron. And yes, that's a compliment with Russ being in there, given the way that he's played off the bench for LA. If that's something new, that's not new, but if that's a, a level they've tapped into with Cole Anthony, who's always seemed like a natural fit off the bench, that is huge for them. Also huge, oh, we're just going to throw Kevon Harris on these really tough defensive covers, and he's going to hit some of his threes too while he's on the court. Or we have Admiral Schofield. Like he, uh, he's not really supposed to be playing, but he's going to come. He's hit some of his threes, and he's been good on the glass for them. Also huge, Bull Bull. Not been great defensively, 
Uh, and that I think it has a lot to do with just his body frame, but his offensive archetype is formless in the best possible way. Um, going through sort of a you know slump with his with with his three pointer, but that's another guy that they have who just really levels up their depth and the way that they're able to attack on offense. Uh, even Mo Bamba has had some good minutes during these stretches. His straight up rim protection numbers have been fine, which is is good. But again, Orlando's rim defense is just so wild. I think some of it is they're fouling more often too which hasn't helped them. So when they're getting guys are getting the basket, it feels like they are overreacting, but uh, having Mo Bamba, that's like, you were also just absolutely stacked in the front court. And this is, you know, they are good in a way where right now, where it makes me feel like, have they tapped into something seeing Mark Hill Fultz being able to manage the game for them. Once they're at full strength with, with Suggs and Wendell Carter Jr. Forget Gary Harris and Jonathan Isaac. Have they tapped into something that might get them to the play in tournament now? or even the playoffs, but the play-in tournament. I mean, it's not, they have one of the worst records in the East as I'm recording this. They are, I think, third to last in the East. That doesn't that doesn't really mean anything right now. They are only three games, three losses back of the play-in. And so you look at Washington, Chicago, Toronto, Atlanta, Indiana, teams in front of them. Those are all squads that I think have pullback potential, whether it's by design or if it's Washington, Chicago, and maybe even Toronto a little bit waiting for them to implode. I don't know the answer to that. And I would refrain from, we have a couple magic questions I want to get to. Um, I would refrain from going by high right now. I would look at the Trey Young situation for sure over the off season, but could you do something medium sized here? If you were able to get a Gary Trent jr. Out of Toronto, but like Mo Bamba. And if Gary Harris was healthy or Mo Bamba and Chumo KK for Gary Trent jr. Which you're going to have cap space. So maybe you don't want him with him headed towards free agency. Would you consider it? That's someone that I think could really help juice up their machine there. Uh, Illuminato asks, if you were the Magic, would you look to trade Mo Bamba before the deadline, considering there could be a fire sale of teams racing to the bottom? What would be a reasonable haul for him in Orlando's position? I don't know. I mean, like the one I just sort of outlined is, could you get that from Toronto? I don't think you're getting a first-round pick for him, but as someone who in theory gives you, you let's say stock still, stand still, straight up rim protection, plus some floor spacing, I think that that would be valuable to some teams. Could Charlotte talk themselves into giving up something for him? I do think a lot of teams might be interested in him as a backup. If you were to get into the, you know, you're not going to get anything major from Boston or even Sacramento who kind of use a different uh, look at the, at the big man spot, uh, San Antonio, that they're just not going to give up a ton of value for him. Um, so I don't know what the value is, but I think you are looking to get a rotation player in exchange for him. And then maybe a good second, or two good rotation players, or just someone who's a, you know, Gary Trent Jr. I'd say is on the higher end of the rotation player spectrum there. And so is that someone that you could look at? The Pelicans, I, they don't, I don't really think they have anyone that's going to interest Orlando. I think you target someone who's going to be part of your rotation just because you can't expect the first round pick would be my gut. And if not, if that's what you, if you can't get that, or if you can't put him into a package that gets you that, you wait until the summer, guarantee a salary. Maybe you use him as an interesting salary matching tool. But I think you could make the case, yeah, look at it because you have when Wendell Carter Jr. is healthy, him, Paolo Bancaro, Bull Bull now. But Jonathan Isaac's not healthy. I don't know that this log jam is as crowded as we make it out to be or some of the national media make it out to be. It can work with Mo Bamba just, just being there. And they've gotten good minutes out of you know that new starting lineup that has the Wagners and Bull Bull and Paolo in it. It's a minus three, I think, over this stretch in total. That's good for me when you're going up against opposing starting units. That's That's actually a big deal in my opinion. So being able to have the starters hold their own and the way that this team has set itself up on defense where, no, they're not perfect, but they're getting back. And you can see really the effort there. And you're looking at the pressure that they are putting on opposing offenses to where they're forcing them to go through multiple options and explore different levels in the, of the shot clock when they're, you know, when they're taking those opportunities. I think that really has helped out their defensive returns. They've gotten lucky on opponent three-point shooting. Of course, during the stretch, opponents are under... 32%, but there, I think there's a foundation here and I would finish it up like this. Orlando could be like a small buyer at the trade deadline, but that's not how I want to frame this. It's if I had to say that Orlando, can Orlando be better than two of Chicago, Toronto, Washington? And if you want to throw Atlanta, Indiana in there, I think yes. And that's like kind of widening the field. But I think this season, there's a chance the Magic end up being better than the, the Washington and Chicago specifically. And not just because those teams might tear it down. And if you can get into the plan and the returns are encouraging, 
you look over the offseason if Trey Young's available. You look at, well, can we upgrade this roster? Are you, you're kind of like the Cavs then of last season, not quite as good maybe by record alone, but your outlook. You have guys in place who are young but ready to go now, and you have assets to burn. If someone like Trey Young becomes available who profiles as a, a filthy fit, you go after it. That's how good the Magic are. And it's, we all knew, I think collectively, especially if we listen to this podcast, that their future was bright, but it feels like the swiftness with which they actually might arrive is going to be even faster than we could have projected here after this stretch. I don't want to read too much into the eight games. We need to see how they reincorporate Suggs and Wendell Carter Jr. and all this, but I find those guys as two useful players, Wendell Carter Jr. more immediately. And if they come in and disrupt it, like you can look at moving them if you need to shake up the front court for real. Wendell Carter Jr. is going to have a lot of trade value. I just don't think you need to move him. I don't think I think Suggs is going to be really good and will actually be a great fit for this team. Just plug him into the starting five when he's back. I want to see him with Fultz and Paolo and Franz more. And I want to see him, you know, can you run some bench units with him and Cole Anthony together? This team has found something within itself in addition to depth. Like, yeah, okay, getting good minutes from Mo Wagner. Do you expect that to continue? How much is Kevon Harris really going to play? Same with Schofield. But to have those depth pieces on your team is monstrous and it opens different avenues for you. And so I'll close it up just by reiterating. I'm just going to predict that they will be better than two of the Bulls, Wizards, Hawks, Raptors, or Pacers this season. That doesn't guarantee them a play-in spot, but I think that we have yet to see where they're going to peak in the standings this year. And if they design a controlled demolition because someone gets injured or they decide they want to jack up their own lottery odds, okay, fine. But that's where I'm at with the Magic because I think there is something here that they're going to continue to build upon throughout the season. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Not as long as the first attempt I recorded. Uh, I shortchanged the Trey Young discussion a little bit and the Magic discussion. Uh, hope you stuck with me. Anyway, please remember to subscribe wherever you're consuming us. Tell people about us. Help us to continue to build this community. And until next time, I leave a shout out to one, the only, the legendary, my heartbeat, Frank Milikina.